0: King's reading is from Jonah chapter four verses one to four. Page nine two nine in your church Bibles. That's page nine two nine. Jonah's anger at the Lord's compassion. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry this is the word of the lord
1: thank you helen um if you're new with us this morning or visiting uh, this morning you're very welcome uh, we have been in the book of jonah since christmas uh, and uh, we uh, or just have after- to after Christmas, so we're in our third month in the book of Jonah. If you've been here through the story, um, you don't need to tell me out loud, but it's a moment of confession to yourself who here thought that we were done with Jonah and that the story of Jonah uh, was uh, finished. Because we, we know the story, don't we? God says to Jonah, go over here. Jonah, goes over here. A big fish picks him up, takes him back over here. He goes into Nineveh. And as we heard last week, as Richard spoke to us, uh, we, Nineveh, he preaches to Nineveh. Nineveh is converted uh, and repents and, and believes. End of story, right? Wrong. It's a good ending. It's a good ending. If it was in a film, Jonah would probably be prayed by someone like Idris Elba or something like that. Uh, and he'd walk into Nineveh with sort of flames going, because there's always flames. I'm not sure why. Uh, there's always flames. Uh, flames going in the background, and people would be converting and coming to God, and the credits would roll, end of film. But that's not where the book of Jonah ends. God isn't finished with Jonah, yet he's got at least two more important lessons for him uh, to learn. And as a consequence, we've got two more talks on Jonah uh, to listen to. I just want to very briefly remind us why we're calling this series The Prodigal Prophet. Why is Jonah the Prodigal Prophet? It's not just because we've nicked the title from Tim Keller's excellent book, uh, which I can highly uh, recommend to you. We see in this story of Jonah a number of parables with the story of the prodigal son or the lost son that we read about in Luke 15. It's not my intention to read that to you this morning. Uh, I'm sure many of us will remember it. If you don't, read it later, Luke uh, 15. In that story, uh, there's a rich man who has two sons, one, the younger one, wants his inheritance early, uh, and so he asks for it. and He goes off and he squanders it all, and then he returns, and the father, well, comes him with a, a lavish feast, much to the anger of the elder son who remains behind. Now we can see the parallel with the first son and Jonah quite easily. The son didn't want to live with the father under the father's rules, and so he runs away, and he's brought back, in that instance, by his circumstances, uh, in, and is redeemed. Jonah didn't want to live or do what it was that God wanted him to do, and so he runs away and is brought back, in his instance, by a large fish. Circumstances, I suppose. And God does what he has promised, he redeems. I think these first four verses of Jonah chapter 4 today show us something of a parallel, however, with the older son. The son who is angry at the graciousness of the father who refuses to go to the party. I just want to read just the first three verses of Jonah chapter four again. To Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Remember right at the beginning of when I was speaking where we thought the story had Jonah had ended. Jonah has just seen thousands of people converted. God's forgiven them. He's reconciled them to himself. His preaching has literally brought about the conversion of a city. Far from falling asleep or not listening to you, as uh, Neil was saying earlier, this is some pretty great fruit that Jonah has seen, right? He's bearing fruit. I'd be pretty overwhelmed over the moon with that sort of response, frankly. And yet Jonah is angry, angry with the Lord for what he has done. Why? Why? I think verses two and three give us an insight into the inner monologue that's been going on for Jonah right from the beginning of the story. We only get a brief version of it here, but we can imagine what's been going on for him, can't we? He's been thinking, I knew it. I knew he would do something like this. These people are evil and they only change their ways because they're scared, They didn't convert and start worshipping God immediately. They merely promised to start changing. And he's been merciful. Don't get me wrong, it's nice that he's good and merciful and everything, but this time, God, you have gone too far. Maybe his monologue went something like that. Jonah cannot see how the God who has promised to preserve Israel and accomplish his purposes in the world through Israel, can show mercy to his enemies. How can he be the God of justice and yet allow the violence and the evil of Nineveh to somehow go unpunished? Some talks that we do here at St. Jude's have uh, three points all beginning with the same letter uh, and there's a lot of value in in that. I don't have three points with one letter. Uh, I have one and a half points and they don't start with the same letter uh, this morning because I think this is the main thing I want us to take away this morning. These first four verses of Jonah chapter four show us that not only did Jonah have a problem with what God was asking him to do, but he also had a problem with the one who is asking him to do it not only did jonah have a problem with with what god was asking him to do he had a problem with the one who had told him to do it right at the start of the story jonah could see no good reason for god to ask him to do what he had commanded him to do and so therefore he had resolved that there couldn't possibly be a good reason for him to ask him to do that Again, it mirrors the older son here. The older son can see no good reason why the father should forgive the younger son. And so he concludes that there can't possibly be one. Now, in the story of the prodigal son, we learn that even though until that point, uh, the elder son appeared to be doing everything right, he was, in fact, only doing it in order to put his father in some sort of debt to him. Neither son trusts the Father's love. Both are trying to find a way to run away from the Father's love, to escape his control. One does it by obeying all of the Father's rules, the other does it by literally running away. And this can be a trap for us as well, a way in which we ourselves can run away from God. We think that if we're religiously observant, if we're virtuous, if we're good, And we've paid all of our dues, and God somehow owes us in return. But this isn't moving towards him in joy and glad surrender, but it's a way of controlling him. It's a way of keeping him at arm's length. And if we're not careful, we will end up viewing God this view of God will lead us to the same response that Jonah has, essentially to say, you haven't done what I wanted or I expected, and so therefore, I don't want to be with you anymore, as he says in these verses, to paraphrase. It's easy for us sometimes to be unable to see how God could possibly work in a situation and conclude that he can't or he won't. But when we do that, we limit God, we try to control God, we assume that we know best, and frankly, we reduce our need for him. I said before that there's one and a half points, because this briefly leads me to my half point, it's related. In chapter two, we got a foretaste of this, that this meltdown was coming. Jonah's reason for fleeing was that he thought God was going to be merciful, and, uh, and that was, in his view, unjust. And then in the belly of the fish, Jonah is hit by his own need for grace in the belly of the fish. But yet, at the very end of Jonah's prayer, in chapter 2, he says, those that cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love from them. Jonah has seen that he needs some of God's grace, but surely he's not as bad as them over there, is he? I need God's grace, but I don't need it as much as they there remains a lack of humility in Jonah's heart. He essentially says in that prayer, salvation comes from the Lord, and then in the next breath, but thank the Lord, I'm nothing like them. This is why he's susceptible to this spiritual crash, which happens in our passage today. Not only does Jonah not really believe that God has his best interests at heart, but his response to it is that he knows best His response is one of pride, self-pride perhaps, national pride. And again, a second warning for us, particularly for me. I've had COVID twice in my life in the last uh, four years or so. Once was in uh, 2021, and uh, sorry if I've told you this before, it's relevant, I had an unusual Sunday here at St. Jude's, uh, and uh, a number of people were unwell during the day, and at the last minute, I had to step in and do various things that I wasn't expecting, uh, expecting to do. And sometimes people at this church like to tease me and say that they don't really need a vicar because they can get on with it all by themselves, which is, uh, which is uh, probably true. Uh, but uh, on my walk home on that particular Sunday evening, uh, I thought to myself, well, St. Jude's don't think they need a vicar they do today, didn't they? <laughs> Utter, complete, unashamable pride. I went home, coughed, took a COVID test, and was out of action for 10 days over the Christmas, early Christmas services of December 2021. Two weeks ago, Uh, I sat with our staff team reading Live No Lies by John Mark Homer. It's a great book. I can highly recommend it to you if you've not read it. And as part of our reflection on the chapter that we would got to, I shared that the biggest lie that I choose to believe is that I'm so important that the world cannot cope without me. The biggest lie I choose to believe is that I'm so important that the world can't cope without me. Pride. It was that lie that brought me back early from a conference that I was at in order to do some things. While others were away, I thought, it's okay, I'll hold the fort, it'll all be fine. And then I got COVID again and wasn't able to do anything at all. Grateful to the friends who stepped in, particularly at the last minute last week. The saying goes, pride cometh before a fall. In my case, pride cometh before COVID, uh, I think, now, there's a health warning here, because you, you have not heard me say that God gave me COVID. That's not what I'm saying. But you, had heard me say, you have heard me say that through getting COVID, God taught me twice the same lesson. That the remem- remnants of pride that remain in my heart are in need of being broken and brought before him. Once again, as he always promises he will, he has used all things for his good. C.S. Lewis famously said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. By our door, which I'm ashamed to say I haven't looked at for a while and have done this the last 10 days, is this which um, Jess made for me. Some of you will be able to see it, I'll read it to you. Uh, this is part of the prayer that's prayed over those of us who are ordained, but as with much of that prayer, I think it actually stands uh, for everybody that's in this place. And it says, You cannot bear the weight of this calling in your own strength, but only by the grace and power of God. You cannot bear the weight of this calling in your own strength, but only by the grace and power of God. One of the reasons, perhaps the reason, why Jonah has this problem with God is that somewhere in his heart, he is believing that everything depends on him. He has this pride that needs to be broken. And when we think we know best, when we believe, in my case, the lie that the world cannot cope without us, this is pride. And incidentally, if you're sat there thinking, oh, I don't suffer the same as that, when was the last time you switched off your mobile phone? Or when was the last time you took a Sabbath as commanded to uh, by Scripture? I'm sure many of you, most of you, don't suffer with this. But perhaps I'm not completely alone in it. I've said already one and a half points. Are we moving towards God with joy filled surrender, or is our relationship with Him very much on our own terms, controlling Him perhaps in the way that we respond to Him? If you do this, then I'll do that. And if there is a hint of that in our relationship, what's its root? Is it pride? Do we again need to come before Him to remember the one, the God? who is the one who always knows best. I wonder if you would stand with me, perhaps as the band come back to lead us, and I'd love to pray for us. Please stand. Lord Jesus, we... Thank you for this passage. We thank you for this story of Jonah, which has so much fruit within it. Lord, we recognize that in this passage, Jonah, it reveals to us that Jonah not only has a problem with what he's being told to do, but with the one who's told him to do it. Lord, for the times that we fail to see how you can work would you call us into a deeper level of trust with you, of trust in you? Would you call us away from the temptation to resolve that you clearly can't work, but to know your power and your presence, which is at work always? And Lord, for the times when we are tempted to do things in our own strength for the times when we believe that the world, the lie that the world cannot cope without us. Would you remind us, Lord, that it is you that the world cannot cope without. It is you that we cannot cope without. Lord, we praise you that you call us to be your disciples. We praise you that you call us to follow you closely and nearly each and every day. And we praise you that we don't need to bear the weight of that calling in our own strength, but only by your grace and your power. So Lord, this week we pray. That you would bring us closer to yourself, that we would see you at work, be encouraged by all that you have done and all that you are doing, and come before you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's sing.